So Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thanks, Karina. Uh, before we think about those words and the centrality of the cross, let's ask God to bless our time together. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you've uh, acted in history, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his life, his death and his resurrection, and you continue to act through him as he now is ascended at your right hand and reigning over all. Uh, and Lord, thank you that you've made known to us by your word those things that you have done and are doing in Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that as we reflect on them now that you would uh, speak to us, that you would enlighten our minds, uh, that you would uh, reach down to the very depths of our hearts, that we might receive you and love you with all our being. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So I'm going to show you uh, some pictures, uh, and if you could just call out, if you recognise any of them, uh, just call out what they are. Hudson, do you want to put the first one up for us? Did someone say the greatest team of all time? I think that's what everyone was saying. Uh, the, the next one, Hudson? Does anyone know what that is? No, oh, I don't know. What is that, a local thing? Does anyone know? Harry? Oh, come on, it's the Calgary Flames. It's a hockey team, NHL. Oh. Okay, now, the next one's a little bit confronting, so um, uh, if you're confronted by things, you may not want to look at this image, but uh, Hudson, can you put out the next one for, for us? Does anyone know what that is? Electric chair. Uh, and now for the last picture. The cross. Thanks, Hudson. Uh, I wanted to show you those pictures because uh, they represent things, don't they? We have images that represent teams and we see them and if we know what they are, uh, we can sort of understand something about them. Uh, there are things that we see uh, that we use, images that we use to represent things and of course the cross is something that we use to represent Christianity that many uh, Christians through the century have used to represent Christianity uh, but for the people of Jesus' day, uh, seeing an image of the cross would have been a bit like seeing that picture of an electric chair. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I see pictures like that, I, I am confronted. 
Uh, whenever I see on the news or I hear a story about someone in the United States, uh, that's a picture, it's a, real, a picture of a real currently used electric chair. Uh, when I see pictures like that and I hear stories like that, I find that confronting. A shiver runs down my spine. And really, it would have been very similar for the people uh, of Jesus' day when they saw a cross. Uh, it's shocking. Uh, it's outrageous. So why then the cross? Why have so many Christians throughout history chosen that as the, as the key symbol of Christianity? Uh, why have they adopted that sign? Well, there's nothing really in the Bible that encourages us to uh, embrace that as a kind of, if you like, the representation of Christianity. The Bible doesn't make, uh, if you like, the image of the cross central. Uh, it doesn't encourage us to paint crosses on our buildings or on the floor in our building. Uh, it doesn't encourage us to wear crosses around our, our neck or emboss them on our Bibles. I don't know if there's anything necessarily wrong with that. That practice didn't begin until quite late, actually, to the 4th, 5th, 6th centuries uh, AD. But what the Bible does do is it does encourage us to make the historical fact of the cross central to the Christian faith. The uh, late theologian and pastor John Stott says, that, look, there are lots of things... Really, if you were to sit down and think about, well, what could be the centre of the Christian faith? There are lots of things that you might think of. Uh, you might think of, well, what about the birth of Jesus? That's kind of important. Uh, or what about uh, his teaching? Uh, what about his service, his resurrection, his reign as king over all the world, his gift of the Spirit? They might all be leading contenders. But it's really the cross and the crucifixion that are absolutely central. And I want to think with you then this morning about that. I want to think with you about the centrality of the cross. Uh, in the weeks ahead, we're going to be thinking about other aspects of the cross in the lead up to Easter. Uh, thinking about things like, why did Jesus die? Uh, what did his death achieve? Uh, for whom did his death achieve that? Uh, and how it shapes our life now. But today I want to just think with you about that introductory idea of why the cross is central. I want to think about, uh, I want to first of all show you that it is central, then think about the apparent foolishness of the cross. Why has God chosen something that seems so uh, defeatist uh, as central? And then third, to reflect on the centrality of the cross uh, in our ongoing Christian life. So why should we consider the cross to be central? Well, the most basic reason is because that's the lead that the Bible gives us in uh, thinking about the cross. Uh, for example, each of the four Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, each of those put the cross at the centre. I mean, not actually at the centre of each book, but, but the cross is the dominant idea in each of those biographies of Jesus' life. So Mark is the shortest of all the Gospels uh, and it has nothing on the birth of Jesus. It just, bang, just gets right into it uh, when he begins his ministry. It has a paragraph or so on the resurrection, but nothing really about what happens after that. Uh, it has 
In contrast, several chapters on the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus, and if you think about the whole structure of the book, really it's kind of divided up into what people call uh, sort of almost the book of glory and the book of suffering. Halfway through the book, kind of it moves from Jesus being uh, uh, the Son of God who comes to earth and does all these great miracles to being the Son of God who's come uh, to die on a cross. Halfway through the book, uh, Jesus... Uh, announces that that is what he's going to do, that he's going to die on a cross. The same is true of Matthew. Uh, Matthew has a couple of chapters on the birth of Jesus, but halfway through, in chapter 16, verse 28, do you want to put that up for us, Hudson? It says this, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He began to do it, and really that's what takes up the whole second half of Matthew's biography of Jesus' life. The same is true, roughly, of uh, Luke and John. So the cross takes up something like a quarter to a third of Matthew, Mark and Luke, and about half of the Gospel of John. So in terms of the biographies of Jesus' life, the cross is at the centre. Uh, But not only that, the cross is also at the centre of how Jesus himself thought about his own life and ministry. So uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, Hudson, put that up. He says this, But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. It's a bit cryptic. But the baptism that Jesus is talking about is his death. Uh, He's talking about uh, Jesus has come to clean up the world, a baptism is a kind of water, there's lots of water washing. He's come to clean up the world. How has he come to clean up the world? Uh, through his death. Uh, that He's taking on the wrath of God uh, and he's putting away the impurity uh, of his people. Just like with precious metals, the only way that you can kind of purify gold is by heating it up to a really high temperature and destroying the impurities, scraping them off the top. In the same way, Jesus says, he's come to clean the world up and clean his people up uh, and he's come to do that through his death through destruction so too jesus says in mark 10 another verse up on the slides for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many how did jesus think of his life he thought of the purpose of it as ransoming uh, many people through his death and at the Last Supper, which we have kind of remembered here as well in the, in the Lord's Supper, in the Last Supper, Jesus instituted a memorial, not of his resurrection, but of his death. The, the symbolism, the key symbolism, points to his death. Uh, Jesus says, uh, calls the bread his body, the wine his blood. Uh, and he says in Matthew 26, verse 28, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus also says that the way that he is going uh, is also the pattern of the Christian life. He says in Mark 8, verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So Jesus doesn't say that we should take up his resurrection and follow him, uh, but he says that we should take up his death, uh, the cross and follow him. 
So the Gospels put Jesus' death at the centre. Jesus' self-understanding of his life and ministry puts the cross at the centre. Uh, the Apostle Paul, too, one of the early Christian leaders, clearly views the cross as central. Uh, he declares in his first letter to the Corinthians, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's incredible if you think about it, isn't it? Paul says, I came to you and I didn't... I, I, resolved to, I resolved to know nothing. I did it on purpose. I knew nothing but the cross of Jesus. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And of course, we read in the verse that Karina read for us before, Paul says that he boasts in nothing except the cross. And you might think, well, what about the resurrection? What about the Trinity? Now, Paul uh, clearly doesn't mean that he's ignoring those truths. But he sees the cross as somehow at the centre of everything that he says and does. So it's the centre of what he says about the resurrection. There would be no resurrection without the cross. It's at the centre too of the Trinity. The, tr the, the, the death of Jesus opens up to us the inner life of the Trinity, the, the Father's love for the Son, uh, the Son's obedience to the Father. Are the work of the Holy Spirit in uniting us with what Jesus has done. What about things, though, like godly living? What about social justice? What about compassion for the poor? Paul uh, doesn't put those at the centre. He puts the cross at the centre, but those things uh, flow out of that centrality of the cross. They're like, if, if you like, spokes on a wheel. Uh, the cross is at the centre and all those things uh, flow out of the middle. When we leave the cross, those things like compassion for the poor and, uh, and social justice and godly living, all those things fall apart unless we keep the cross at the centre. It's like cut flowers. Have you, I don't know if you've heard of the cut flower effect, but it's the idea that you have these beautiful flowers on a plant and the moment you cut them off to bring them inside and to put them in a vase, they begin to die. Uh, when you cut them off from the source of life, they die. And, and it's the same really with the cross. Uh, it's out of the cross that all those other things spring. But when we cut them off from the cross, all those things die. We have to keep the cross at the centre. And so it's a good question, I think, for us to ask ourselves, for you to ask yourself, for us to ask ourselves as a church, as a community of people, is the cross at the centre of what we do? Is, it, is the cross at the centre of how we think about the Christian life? Uh, is it at the centre of your life? Is it at the centre of our life together uh, as a church? Is it at the centre or have you sort of maybe moved on to something else? Have we as a church moved on to something else maybe? Maybe just ever so subtly shifted our foundation, our focus to something else. Is the cross at the centre of our lives? Because the Bible puts the cross at the centre.
So that's the first thing. The Bible shows us that there, there is a centrality of the cross. There's something core about it. But the second thing we want to think about, uh, I want to think about with you this morning, is just how crazy and, and apparently foolish that really seems to be. It's profoundly odd, if you think about it, that people would go around wearing uh, a crucifix around their neck. Uh, as, as many people have said, nobody goes around wearing an electric chair or a noose uh, around their neck as a kind of a statement of who they are. Uh, last year there was an outrage when this... Uh, Hudson, do you want to put that, that picky? Uh, there was an outrage when this was found hanging in the garage of a NASCAR driver. Uh, so his name was Bubba Wallace. Uh, and uh, in the end, it turned out that the, he'd, made a, he'd made a stand, a public stand about Black Lives Matter matters. Uh, and in the end, uh, people thought it was connected. In the end, it turned out that it wasn't. Uh, but th the image caused outrage because the symbolism of the noose, particularly in America is outrageous. Why is that? It's because in the history of America, uh, white people used uh, the noose uh, and lynching to kill uh, many, unlawfully kill many innocent African-American people. Thanks, Hudson. You can put that down. Uh, and the kind of outrage that that image conveys, particularly to people uh, in America, to some degree mirrors the kind of outrage that people would have felt in Jesus' day. Uh, the, the cross was an outrage. To be crucified was outrageous. It was the lowest, the most uh, horrendous form of death. It was uh, reserved for the worst of criminals. Uh, and Paul uh, talks about that in Galatians uh, 5.11. He talks about uh, the disgrace of the cross. One early example of that is, uh, is also the so-called Alexemenos graffiti. Do you want to put out that picky, Hudson? So this is a piece of graffiti from the second century. Um, it was before um, spray cans, obviously. But, but it, it, it's well known because this man, the, the artist, the graffiti artist, uh, is mocking a man, a Christian man named Alexemenos. Uh, and you can see in the picture that there's a, a man on the cross with a, a donkey's head. The person on the cross is supposed to be Jesus. And the, uh, the script says, Alexamenos worships his God. Uh, and he's mocking this Christian man, Alexamenos, because he's saying, what kind of fool worships a God who's crucified? Uh, the idea is that it's profoundly stupid to do that kind of thing. Uh, but it's not just the society around Christians who thought that the cross was foolish. Uh, even in the Bible, uh, people can say, it, on the surface, this looks profoundly uh, silly. The Apostle Paul says that in his first letter to the Corinthian church. He says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. God, he's saying, God chose the cross, the, the, the stupidity, the apparent stupidity of the cross. He chose that in order to show up the empty wisdom of the world. Paul continues, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. People want power. Uh, people want miracles. People want extraordinary wisdom. Paul says, no, we preach something that is superficially the most ridiculous thing in the world, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The cross is deliberately foolish in order to destroy our human arrogance and our human conceit. The cross says to us, reminds us, this is what you deserved. To be executed like a common criminal. Like Steve said, a capital offence. The cross says to us that even God's weakness is greater than our strength. But more than that, the cross invites us to humble ourselves to God. The cross, as Jesus says, is really the doorway to the Christian life. He says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The cross, Jesus says, is the doorway to the Christian life. How do you begin the Christian life? We begin by denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus. The cross is the doorway to the Christian life and the problem is it's a very low doorway. It's not one of those big kind of spacious doorways that's sort of easy to, to walk through with sort of nice uh, sliding doors that sense you're coming in. Uh, the doorway to the Christian life is a low doorway. Uh, it's, a, it's a doorway that you have to enter on your hands and knees. Uh, and God has chosen that way to bring our pride, to bring our arrogance to nothing. You have to give up everything in order to make it through, uh, to get through that doorway uh, to God. Uh, if you try to walk through the doorway of the cross with all your pride and your self-confidence and your self-belief, you won't be able to get through. Uh, if you try to walk through it, hanging on to everything that you have, all your dreams and your hopes and aspirations, all that you've done, all that you've achieved, all that you hope to achieve, you won't be able to get through. You have to come through. Uh, the cross demands that we walk through that door, that we come through that door uh, on our hands and knees. If the cross wasn't at the centre, if the cross wasn't the doorway, then we might think that we could get all the other things without humility, that we could get the resurrection, that we could get a godly life, that we could get a relationship with God, that we could get all those things without cost. 
But the cross says it costs Jesus everything and it will cost you everything as well. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, whenever Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the call of the cross, the call of the Christian life. Uh, Maybe that's you. Maybe uh, you are trying to receive all the blessings uh, of salvation without humbling yourself before God, without giving anything up, without going through that low doorway. Paul says, no, it's not possible. The only way is through the cross. So the cross is at the centre. That's where the Bible puts it. And the cross is the doorway, the low doorway by which we enter the Christian life. Uh, But finally, it's important to see that not only is the cross the theological centre of the Christian life, not only is it the doorway by which we begin the Christian life, uh, it's also the way by which we continue the Christian life. Paul said uh, in Galatians 6 that we read before, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of Christ, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says, you know, may I never boast except in that? Why is he saying that? Is he just saying, you know, may I never boast... In, uh, in my school achievements, uh, you know, in my fantastic hair, uh, you know, may I never boast in those things because the cross is more important? Is that what he's saying? Well, at one level, I suppose, yes, he means that. But in order to understand what he's saying, we need to understand why he has written, it's at the end of a letter to a church, a church in a place called Galatia. We need to understand why he's written that letter. He's written that letter to Christians who are in danger of abandoning the gospel. So they've heard about Jesus, they've heard about the cross, they've heard about the low doorway of the cross, they've heard about the theological centrality of the cross, but they're in danger of abandoning the gospel. Uh, Why is that? How is that? Well, Paul says earlier in Galatians 3, Uh, If you put that up, Hudson, he says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. They know about the cross. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The problem that Paul is addressing with these early Christians is all about the cross. He says that these Christians are in danger of abandoning the cross. But the problem is not that they're thinking to themselves, let's find another foundation for the Christian life. You know, We've done the cross, we've been there, uh, let's do something else. That's not how they're thinking. They're not thinking, if you like, concretely of moving on from the cross of Jesus. Rather, the problem is that they're trying to continue and finish the Christian life by moving on from the cross. 
He says in verse 3, after beginning by means of the Spirit, the Spirit who has come through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, having begun with that, are you now seeking to finish, literally to be perfected by means of the flesh? They want to grow in the Christian life. They want to be godly and holy. And the way that they want to do that is by reintroducing parts of the Old Testament law, the practices of the Old Testament, things like circumcision. That's why he talks about circumcision in that last chapter. Uh, the, the, the priesthood, the sacrifices, those kinds of things. They want to move on to those things or move back to those things so that they can grow in the Christian life. But Paul says you don't just begin the Christian life with the cross. You continue the Christian life with the cross. It's the spokes of the wheel. We need to keep pursuing the cross because it's through the cross that everything else comes. The best example of that is in Philippians 3 where Paul says this. He says, But whatever were gains to me, whatever I had, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul knows the reality of beginning the Christian life by coming to God and he knows the reality of continuing the Christian life by staying with Jesus. But at the heart of staying with Jesus, as he goes on to say, is living at the cross. Look what he says next. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, yes, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Literally, the Greek word is sumorphedzomenos, which is being morphed together with him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. How does the resurrection come? How is that being worked out in our life? It's through being so joined with the death of Jesus that the life of Jesus is being worked out in us day by day. I asked before whether the cross is at the centre of your life and whether the cross is at the centre of this church. Now I want to ask whether the ongoing experience and participation in the death of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, whether the ongoing participation in that is at the centre of your life and at the centre of our life together. That is, are you daily being conformed to the death of Jesus? Not, have you walked through the low door and then moved on to other things, but is the death of Jesus slowly, gradually, powerfully working out its way in your life putting to death sin 
putting to death maybe dreams and aspirations that you realize are completely secondary to the life of knowing God? Are you dying daily? Are you being changed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? To be daily conformed to the death of Jesus can be a painful experience. Paul knew that. But as Paul also recognised, it's through the cross of Jesus that all the blessings and the benefits of the Christian life come to us. The work of the Spirit, relationship with God, life, the new creation, and hope. We're going to think about some of those things, a lot of those things in the weeks to come. But for the moment, the thing for us to realise is that the cross of Christ is not just a theological centre. It's not just the doorway by which we come to God, but it's the way by which we live in relationship to God and to receive all the blessings of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, Jesus has died uh, in our place and risen from the dead uh, and poured out the Holy Spirit uh, on all his people. But Lord, we, we want to know, we want to acknowledge uh, and testify this morning uh, that all the blessings of the Christian life come through the death of Jesus reconciling us to yourself, taking the penalty of our sin, crucifying us to the world and the world to us. Lord, we pray that each one of us who is here this morning will have found that way of the cross, will have denied ourselves, given up everything, taken up our cross and followed Jesus. Uh, And Lord, I pray that each one of us would know the joy and the blessing and the life that comes from that self-denial and death in Christ. But Lord, we also want to pray that we don't just begin life there, but we continue. Lord, we pray that today we would die with Jesus, uh, that tomorrow we would die with Jesus, uh, and that every day we live uh, in this world awaiting the day of Jesus' return, we pray that we would be conformed together with him, morphed into his image by sharing in his death so that somehow we might also attain, experience and joy by your grace, the blessings of eternal life. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.